Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain, a podcast of meaningful information and workshops to improve the quality of life for those affected by brain injury. Improving the quality of life starts the minute you arrive at a hospital. Our workshop today is on knowledge, educating ourselves on all things brain injury. Today, we're going to focus on research about stopping the brain damage and providing medical therapy from the moment you arrive at the hospital. We want you to know there's a small TBI army that is lifting you up every step of the way. Even if you don't see it, brilliant work is going on to study the first stage of recovery. My name is Candace Gant. I am a brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Nonprofit Foundation. I'm also proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. Today, I'm going to speak with Dr. Diaz Aristia, who is, has an impressive list of credentials that I want to share with you. So Dr. Diaz Aristia is a professor of neurology at the University of Pennsylvania, where he leads the TBI Clinical Research Initiative. His research interests are focused on understanding the molecular, cellular, and tissue level mechanisms of neural injury and neuroregeneration with the goal of developing neuroprotective and neuroregenerative therapies. That's a mouthful there. Dr. Diaz Aristia received his MD and PhD degrees from Baylor College of Medicine and completed postgraduate training at Harvard and Columbia. That's impressive. Prior to coming to Penn, he served on the faculty at the University of Texas Southwestern, the Uniformed Services University of the Health of Health Sciences and the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Dr. Diaz Aristia has published over 200 primary research papers as well as over 40 invited reviews and book chapters. He has also served on several national committees related to traumatic brain injury, epilepsy and dementia. Convened by the Institute of Medicine, the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration. That's quite impressive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for the nice introduction and thanks for inviting me to participate in this podcast. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So tell us a little bit after the initial assault is what we're gonna talk about today. After the initial assault on the brain, do I understand that damage even hours and days after are still taking place? You know, there's there's a complex cascade of cellular molecular events that is activated and comes into play, you know, really immediately or, or, or within seconds to minutes after the injury. And much of that molecular and cellular cascade is adaptive, meaning that it's it's an attempt by the body, by by our our, our brain and our tissues to uh, to limit the extent of damage. This is obviously processes that have evolved through evolution, through you know 
tens of thousands of years. On the other hand, not all of it is adaptive, right? Some of it is, is probably also maladaptive in, in meaning that it can uh, you know, further promote further secondary injury, et cetera. And I, I think the work that has been learned really over the last 25, 30 years, primarily from animal models, right, is, is that if we can intervene with the maladaptive steps, right, if we can use drugs or therapies to uh, block or inhibit or in some way ameliorate the maladaptive processes, that that can result in an improvement in recovery, in a reduction in tissue damage, and, and overall a benefit. There's been less work along the lines of using therapies to promote the, the adaptive processes. And I think those are likely to be equally important. There's just, uh, there's just a little less body of work along those lines. But the answer is that uh, the, the, the game isn't over at the time of the injury. Uh, where, where you go and, and uh, th that, that you're cared for in a uh, trauma center, particularly a brain injury trauma center that has experienced uh, neurosurgeons, neurologists, physiatrists, uh, the whole team uh, who, who are experienced in dealing with brain injuries, who can uh, manage to limit these maladaptive processes and to the extent possible promote the adaptive processes, that has a big influence on outcome. And not everything is, is, is over within, you know, days or weeks, right? I think the, these, um, the, the, the brain is changed forever uh, when someone has had a serious brain injury, right? And these interplay of adaptive and maladaptive processes continue for months or years or probably forever for the rest of the life. Of, of the patient or the, uh, uh, you know, the individual sustained a brain injury. So let me understand then, uh, are cells dying while, during this process? What is happening, happening in your brain that is causing the deterioration? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a complex phenomenon, as you can imagine. The brain is the most complex organ in the body, right? Mechanical energy impacting the brain is, is basically going to affect all uh, cell types and tissue types. So there, there are certainly cells that are dying, right? And, and they can be dying through a number of different mechanisms. The other thing that we also know, and this is probably one of the, uh, probably one of the major mechanisms responsible to long-term disabilities after TBI is that there are axons that are being stretched and damaged, right? So, so it, it appears that at least much of the uh, more serious initial injury is doing from this axon sharing and axon stretching and that the, the death of the cell bodies that are connected to those axons, the axons are the wires connecting one neuron to another, that the death of the neurons that are connected to those axons may actually be delayed by, by some time, uh, you know, days to weeks. And if we had ways to promote the repair of those axons or promote the resilience of those axons, that that may may limit eventual neuronal death. But it's obviously not only neurons and axons that are damaged. There's damage to the blood vessels in the brain. There is uh, 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 leakage of the blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier is very important 
for maintenance of normal neural function. And we know that after brain injury, there is uh, damage to the cellular components of the blood-brain barrier and leakage of uh, plasma proteins into the brain, which is a deleterious thing. Uh, there appears to be inflammatory cells that are recruited into uh, the brain, the injured brain. Some of that inflammatory process is adaptive, meaning that it can, can promote healing, but not all of it is adaptive. Some of it can be maladaptive as well. So there, there are many, many things going on. It, it is complex, uh, but it's also an area that there are many opportunities for, for treatment if we were smart enough to develop effective treatments. And that's, I believe, what the area of your expertise is, is doing that research to finding out what, uh, what mitigates and what stops that progression of the damage. And so tell us about microvascular bio biology, because that seems like it plays a very active role. In well, well in, in, my, in my personal research, uh, the last 10 years or so of my personal research is real focused on microvascular injury after TBI. I mean, I, I, we're involved in many different kinds of studies, uh, in, but, but in, in terms of my own personal research group, our focus has been microvascular injury because, as I mentioned, not only is there injury to axons and neurons and inflammatory cells, there is very prominent injury to the small blood vessels that, that provide uh, oxygen supply, nutrient supply, to, to neurons. The brain is by far the most highly vascular organ in the body. Uh, the, the, the brain is approximately 2% of the whole body weight, but it receives 20% of the cardiac output, right? So, so it, it's, it's by far the, uh, uh, the biggest component of blood supply. And it, it is said that every neuron has its own personal capillary. And uh, been observed for a long time, but but also somewhat an, an area uh, where, where, where studies have been somewhat neglected is that the, the microvasculature, right, these small blood vessels that, that are the main players supplying blood and, and nutrients and also carrying away toxic substances from neurons are also damaged after brain injury. And I think one of the reasons why uh, over the last 10 years, my, my research group has kind of focused on that, is, is that, well, we know a lot about vascular biology and vascular biology is a very advanced area of science and medicine. And we have many, many effective drugs that are, are known to have effects on promoting uh, angiogenesis, uh, meaning uh, the growth of new blood vessels, promoting vascular repair, promoting uh, the, the maintenance and resilience of blood vessels. So, so um, you know, we think that using some of those drugs and, and leveraging the, a lot of the basic biology that we know about uh, blood vessels can, can give us important clues to therapeutics relating to brain injury. And so in order to stop that continuing damage, then you have some therapies, you have some medical therapies in the way of pharmaceuticals and drugs that you've been investigating and researching. Is that correct? So that this would be a way to mitigate the continued damage? Right. So, so you know, we, we have, I mean, as I said, vascular biology and vascular medicine are, are very advanced fields of study. 
Uh, and, and, you know, we have many drugs that we know uh, have uh, positive effects in, in uh, promoting vascular health and promoting resilience of blood vessels. So one of them are, are statin drugs, right? These are things that, you know, many people take and, and they help lower cholesterol levels. But in addition to their roles on lipid metabolism and lipoprotein metabolism, they also have effects on, on blood vessels themselves, uh, which, which are very prominent and have been very well studied. So, so we think, and, and, and there's preclinical data in support of this, that drugs like, like statins can be very helpful uh, and, and, and potentially can have a role in improving outcome after traumatic brain injury. The other drug that we've been studying quite a bit in my research group is sildenafil, which I think some of you may know better by the brand name of Viagra, right? So I think I think we've known we've known for a long time that individuals who have uh, who, who, who whose microvasculature has been damaged as a consequence of longstanding, in most cases, as a consequence of longstanding hypertension or diabetes, uh, et cetera, have, have problems with erectile dysfunction, which can be helped a great deal by this class of drugs, which are inhibitors of an enzyme called phosphodiesterase 5. And, and we believe, and some of our studies along these lines uh, support it, that drugs like Viagra can be helpful in promoting the, uh, the, the function of the microvasculature. These studies are still pretty early, but, but we are you know, very involved in this and we're very excited about this as well. But there are other drugs also, many other drugs that work on the microvasculature, uh, including things like erythropoietin, uh, uh, you know, some of the drugs that we use in oncology to, to promote uh, you know, repair of blood vessels after they've been damaged by uh, chemotherapy. And, 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 and even non-pharmacologic therapies, right? So we know that diet and physical exercise can be very beneficial in, in uh, promoting uh, microvascular function, right? I think exercise in particular has a very, very profound effect in, uh, in, in, in promoting health of blood vessels, angiogenesis, you know, maintenance of normal vascular function. And, and that's likewise something that, that is... Uh, you know, very, very meritorious and uh, very necessary for further study. Uh, and, and, and I think the other thing that's somewhat been, been overlooked in the brain injury field is that, um, you know, paying very close attention to the, the, the traditional uh, vascular risk factors, right? Things as high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, hyperhoposystemia, which is a and another metabolite that can affect the health of blood vessels, uh, hyperlipidemia, uh, you know, et, et cetera, uh, can, can potentially also have very, very important effects. So this is, this again, the research on all this is still ongoing, but, you know, one of the things we know from our colleagues in, in uh, stroke neurology, you know, if someone, if someone, if someone's healthy, has never had a stroke, doesn't have hypertension, uh, it doesn't have diabetes, you know, we, we, we're normally okay if their cholesterol level is 200 or 210. On the other hand, we know that if someone has had a stroke, well, we want to we keep their cholesterol level lower than that, right? It, it's, it, it, if, if someone has had a stroke or has had heart disease, 
Yes. Well, we normally target a cholesterol level below 180 or even lower, right? And, and we're, we're more likely to put someone like that on a statin therapy. My way of looking at it is someone who's had a brain injury is totally equivalent to someone who's had a prior stroke, meaning that we, we know that as a consequence of the brain injury, their blood vessels have, have uh, sustained some damage. And as a consequence, uh, you know, it may well make sense to target their cholesterol level lower than you would otherwise in someone who's never had a brain injury. And I and I I'm encouraged because I think we know that there's already tools out there. There's there's already drugs that show there's efficacy for brain injury, even though they weren't originally designed for it. And so I think that that's right. Many many of these drugs have been tested in animal models, and I I would say the clinical trials are are uh, not yet completed. Um, so you know it's hard to make definitive um, recommendations. On, on, on the other hand, I think that a lot of common sense kind of things can be done, uh, mm -hmm. particularly when, when what is following people in the clinic. Absolutely, great. So what is, what's the difference? What sets your research apart from some of the other centers around the country? Well, I mean, I don't think any one thing uh, sets us apart. I, I would say the University of Pennsylvania has been among the leading institutions studying traumatic brain injury for, for really a long, long time, many decades. I think much of what we know, much of what the basic fundamental facts that we know about traumatic brain injury were discovered here at Penn. Um, so so it's, a, it's a terrific environment, uh, a large number of investigators really across many different departments in the School of Medicine, the School of Engineering, um, across many departments in the School of Medicine, and obviously neurology, neurosurgery, uh, physical medicine, rehabilitation, anesthesiology, et cetera, have, have been focused on traumatic brain injuries. And I think it's likely that Penn receives more uh, support from the National Institutes of Health for TBI research than any other institution. So, so it, it's, a, it's a terrific environment to, to work with. And uh, I came here about four and a half years ago in, in, in large part, attracted by, by that um, you know, excellent critical mass of, of investigators who, who, were, who were involved in doing this. Um, so, so I think that's probably one thing that sets Penn apart. I, th I think the other, the other thing that, that, that is important you know, to know, I mean, I would say our work on, on microvascular dysfunction is somewhat unique. There are other people working on that as well, but we have a strong group that, that has been working on that. Um, it, you know, the final thing about Penn is, is that it, it's, it's a, um, uh, you know, it's very, it, it attracts uh, many talented young people, right? So, so folks who have finished medical school or perhaps finished a residency in neurosurgery, neurology, uh, you know, PM&R uh, often are attracted to come here and uh, because of, of the tradition of the place and the, the, uh, the, 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 not only the excellent training, but, but the mentoring that they can obtain here. Right? And so that, that makes it a really very unique environment to, to do these kinds of studies. Yes, and we're eternally grateful and proud of all the work that Penn always has accomplished over the years. And since you 
Penn is a leader in this area. Can you tell us about sharing of your research? Is there a collaboration with other centers so that they, you can lift up this whole community by sharing that information? Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of what I do, I think I mentioned my own personal research uh, and, and the research of my personal research group is very focused on microvascular injury. We're also uh, play major roles in, in several uh, large multi-institutional studies. So these are large efforts that have mainly been supported by the National Institute of Health or the Department of Defense. So, so, so one of them, which uh, you know, have a big role in, is something called the BOOST uh, study. BOOST stands for Brain Oxygen Optimization in Severe TBI. This is a, it's actually a $32 million uh, a federal investment with the goal of, it's really the largest and probably the first randomized control trial, multi-center randomized control trial done in the neuro ICU. This, this is a, a study that includes 45 academic medical centers throughout the United States and two in Canada. Uh, and and uh, it, it's, it's designed to determine whether a treatment strategy based on a, a uh, novel and, and advanced intracranial monitor that many people have used, but it's never been subject to really uh, a detailed study. So, so um, you know, I've been working on this for over 10 years now. I, I was the principal investigator for the phase two study for Boost, which was done really starting about 10 years ago, uh, actually more than that now. And I, I'm obviously the phase three study for Boost started two years ago, I'm the scientific PI for that particular study. So that takes a lot of our time and obviously I have great colleagues here at Penn who are helping with that, but really great colleagues throughout the country that are helping with that study. Um, we're also a part of a, a um, multi-institutional consortium called TRAC-TBI. TRAC-TBI is an acronym that stands for Transforming Research and Clinical Knowledge in Traumatic Brain Injury. Uh, uh, TRAC-TBI is a group of approximately 18 academic medical centers in the United States that are um, really leading the, the efforts to develop uh, imaging techniques, blood biomarkers, clinical outcome measures with the goal of improving the next generation of clinical trials in TBI and actually eventually conducting the next generation of clinical trials in TBI. So, so, so this is an important effort that, um, you know, Penn became part of that after I moved here four and a half years ago. I had been part of Track TBI from its very inception, uh, but Penn was able to join that effort after I moved here four and a half years ago. That's brilliant. And I think that uh, I would love her, and, and I think they're getting that message, our viewers that are our listeners that want to know that there is this army behind them of doing research. Oftentimes we don't hear about it in the news like we do for other diseases, but I'm excited and encouraged that you bring that up, that there is really a consortium and a collaboration of many facilities besides the work, the brilliant work you're doing, but that the whole community is really working in their behalf and they may, may not see it. So tell us a little bit about the other research projects. I know the blood brain barrier, but is there anything else that you can share with everybody to, to tell them that you're really got your finger on the pulse, if you will, of some emerging 
discoveries? Well, you know, I, I think, I mean, I would say if there's another kind of even more generalized theme of our work is, is developing biomarkers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Biomarkers are uh, measurable, uh, you know, things that you can measure, right? And, and they can be either done in, in a blood test or through a radiologic test, such as an MRI or potentially a physiologic test that tells you something about the underlying biology of the disease process. So, so um, you know, biomarkers have been fundamental in progress in many, many areas of medicine. You know, cardiology, oncology, you know, for example, a cholesterol level is a biomarker. A, a you know, hemoglobin A1C is a biomarker. A, um, you know, a, a prostate-specific antigen test is a biomarker. And I think really the, the lack or paucity of biomarkers in the neurotrauma field have, have really been a barrier to developing effective therapy. So, so you know, a big part of our research has been in developing biomarkers related to traumatic brain injury. I think there's been a fair bit of, of success in that. I think so, you may know that really within the past two years, uh, the FDA has approved several biomarkers related to traumatic brain injury, right? That includes a protein called glial fibrillary acidic protein or, or GFAP and a companion protein called ubiquitin C-terminal hydrolase or UCHL1. So these, these were approved by the FDA for use in the, as an aid in the evaluation of mild traumatic brain injury in the emergency room. Um, there's a, a product by a company called Oculogica that has also been FDA cleared for, for use in this setting. And I think there'll be more to come, right? And, and obviously one of the things that uh, you know, we're very interested in doing through the TRAC-EBI uh, collaborative is incorporating the use of these biomarkers in clinical trials and eventually into clinical practice. So, so I think that's, that's one of the areas where we're doing a lot of work on. I think the other area that we're also doing a fair bit of work on is looking at the very long-term outcomes after traumatic brain injury. I think one, one, of, the other, one of the other limitations is that there has been the assumption that, well, if someone has a brain injury, then they will recover. It may take a few months, but usually after six months or 12 months, all the recovery that has taken place has taken place. And that's actually not the case, right? There, there is uh, continued uh, plasticity that goes on for a very long time, and actually for, for, for it, it, it's lifelong. And, and again, not all of that plasticity is, is adaptive. Uh, much of it is, but some of it is also maladaptive, right? So we know that a subset of patients who have had a, a traumatic brain injury will develop epilepsy as a consequence of a brain injury, and that's a maladaptive uh, plasticity event. Uh, the other thing that, that is also, also a great concern is that it also appears that at least a subset of patients who have had a traumatic brain injury, when they get to be in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, they are at greater risk of developing dementia, meaning that, that they, they have problems with memory, attention, executive function, mood, et cetera. And then obviously that's a very serious situation given the, the enormous social burden to family, society, 
that that dementia incurs. So I think one of the things we're very interested in doing is in finding out, well, what are the mechanisms of that uh, post-traumatic dementia with the hope that, that, you know, maybe we can identify therapies to slow that down or prevent it, right? And, and obviously one of the things we're very interested in is, is we think that at least some of the mechanisms of that post-traumatic dementia could be microvascular. My, microvascular. Indeed. And so. that would lead me to my, to my last question that, but I think that'll lead right into it. And looking into the future, what are the discoveries you think will be most substantial coming up in your crystal ball? Where do you see in 10 years, what do you see there is more hope and help for brain injury survivors in their recovery? Well, I, I'm really hopeful that in 10 years, you know, by the time I retire or so, <laughs> I think I have at least 10 years of, of productive career left in me, that, that, that within 10 years, we will actually have at least one and hopefully more than one effective therapy for TBI. And that can include a therapy useful not only in the acute period, meaning within the first few hours to the first day after injury, but, but even in the post-acute uh, or even chronic period. So, so I, I, I'm actually optimistic that based on all the progress over the last 10 years that, that we are on the cusp of, of being able to establish those therapies, develop those therapies. And I have complete faith and confidence in you that that will be as a result of your labs. And I, because I can tell from talking to you and your credentials and your passion for helping this population that I think great things are, are as you say, maybe right around the corner. And thank you so much for your time today. Oh, and thanks so much for all your questions. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. The encouragement and that we need as a brain injury community, even though we're post-acute, uh, the next generation is of course interest to us and we have a, a heart for that community in the future. So I'm, I'm encouraged that there's some therapies that can have a great outcome for these patients. So on behalf of the brain injury survivors everywhere, I want to thank you for your brilliant work that you, you and your team are doing to prevent these lifelong challenges. Even if you didn't receive some of these therapies, it's important to know that the future generations of brain injury survivors, that they'll have great care and uh, to our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast, share it with others. So we know there are millions, 5.3 million people that are still struggling in the United States. And you could help them by providing some, this information, this podcast to them. You can be a partner with us and join us on Instagram. Learn more about the mission of Mind Your Brain and be an advocate and a voice for the invisible. Please join us in making a difference in the world. I wish to give you a virtual hug and tell you, you're not invisible to us.